This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I'm Jason Kong here with... Mary Lucas, representing Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you doing today? Doing well. We're headed right into, well, I don't know. What season are we in here in North Carolina? I was going to say we're headed right into fall. I'm like, just kidding. It's going to be 80 today. So maybe we're back in summer, which I am all about. This is more convertible weather for me. You know, you just wait a little while in North Carolina weather. We'll come back around. But you're exactly right. We're, we're kind of in like false fall, I think. False fall. Okay, yes. I like that. False that's, fall. That's what I'll go with here. All right. Well, we've got a wonderful show lined up today, and we are going to be discussing the topic of grief. And we are very pleased to welcome on to the show Rebecca Feingloss. She's a grieving educator, an advocate, and also she's the founder of Grieve Leave. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Before we dive into Grieve Leave, which is going to be a mouthful, I'm totally going to stumble that a few times, but uh, (laughs) before we dive in there, Rebecca, tell us a little bit about yourself, where are you from, where have you been, and and kind of a little bit of your background, and then we want to hear about Grieve Leave. Totally. Um, Well, I mean, I'm from exotic Durham, born and raised, (laughs) and born and raised Durhamite, and I think that maybe most 34-year-olds wouldn't immediately start their introductions of themselves with, oh, I'm the daughter of Mark and Susan Feingloss. It's a very kind of formal thing to say, but for me, that's so important. My parents are both deceased, and they were everything to me. My mother and father moved to Durham in 1972 when like there really was not a whole lot going on but my dad came down for his residency at Duke and never left and my mother was um, the director of the Duke Medical Center Library very medical family my mom unfortunately died of a glioblastoma brain cancer when I was a child and Mm. my dad became a single parent Um, took care of me and my brother and was also a physician in the meantime. And I think in short here, while I spent my career in government and in education, like ever the achiever, um, in retrospect, I was really living a life that was marked by the grief of losing a parent so young. Mm. And I didn't understand that I, I think I was trying to outrun my grief through being called resilient and being an achiever and graduating from Duke and, you know, going to teach for America and going to graduate school at the University of Chicago and working Mm -hmm. for the mayor of Chicago and coming home. I worked at the Department of Health and Human Services here, led policy for the state on um, at first early childhood and then COVID hit. Mm. And then my father died really suddenly on day one of COVID lockdown. And that changed everything for me. A year after he died, I realized um, in the middle of lockdown and in everything else that I was in a marriage also that wasn't working. So I got divorced Mm. and I left my job and I took a year off on what I called grieve leave, 
which is a mouthful, but it rhymes. <laughs> I and love you can it. totally yeah. tell that I was a kindergarten teacher at one point <laughs> in my career. And um, that that exploration of like, what is grief? What is loss? Um, started as a blog just for me and mm-hmm. it took off over the course of 2022. And then I founded a company that now educates people and supports them in their grief. And that's why I get to talk to, to you today mm-hmm. and get to connect with so many folks because we're all grieving, whether we recognize it or not. That is a, a very, that's a journey. I don't have no words. Um, I had chills when we were talking <laughs> about the amount of loss that you've endured. And, you know, we think about launching this company during grieve leave during covid is so relevant talk to us a little bit so grieve leave it's a it's a blog it's education what exactly is grieve leave and how can people reach your services and and what can they gain from reaching out to grieve leave totally so what started as my own personal blog of taking every single day of 2022 to ask myself the question okay what is grief and what is grieving? Mm-hmm. Like, what does that actually mean to me, a very practical, research-driven person who had never really spent time on my feelings ever? Mm-hmm. I wrote about that topic on a blog. I traveled a lot. I did all kinds of things in my year-long sabbatical. And what became very clear to me over the course of that year and how much this blog resonated with other people is that particularly for my generation, I'm a millennial, and for Gen Z, we are so lost when it comes to grief support. So lost. Like, I think we are more in touch with our mental health Mm -hmm. than ever. And yet we don't have systemic tools. We don't have accessible services and support in our society, particularly when it comes to grief. Mm -hmm. Older people have grief supports because they're supposed to be quote unquote grieving losses of, you know, parents or spouses very young children. It's a tragedy when they lose a parent these Mm -hmm. days. I mean, it always was, but access to mental health supports for kids exists, but they just, they really don't Mm -hmm. for everyone else in between, whether we're talking about death or particularly for non-death grief, Mm -hmm. it's just such a dearth. I didn't know where I was supposed to go to talk about grief for my divorce in particular. I I had no support systems there. And that is why I founded this company is, to create um, a new way of looking at grief support for millennials and for Gen Z and really for all of us who want to connect with other people about our grief and loss and we don't have the spaces to do it, whether that is meeting up at a bar or meeting up at, you know, we, we have exercise classes, I mean, all kinds of things. And those are opportunities to bring people together to talk about their grief. We bring people together virtually online for support groups, too. We put out educational content on social media, so on TikTok, on Instagram, because that's where my generation and younger, that's where we are. That's where we need to be talking about grief and normalizing this. And then I also provide trainings and educate businesses on how to create more grief-informed workplaces. This is such an important topic. And to me, it's very relevant this weekend. I was actually just having this conversation with my brother. He, sadly, this is something that's also not talked about, but he had to behavioral euthanize his dog this weekend, um, who was only three years old. And it was so tough. And we spent all weekend with my brother and his wife, who are just really, really struggling and feeling grief and loss and, and 
the way he put it, put it is failure. Um, and there's nothing they could have done. Mm. And, you know, this dog was an adopted dog and they they don't know its background and it clearly was very neglected. Um, but in all of this, I looked at him, you know, a couple of days ago and then my sister asked him yesterday and we're like, and he doesn't listen to the show. So I feel like I can share this. Um, but we were like, do, do you have someone you can talk to? And he was like, no, th- there's no, there's nowhere, there's no one out there because, you know, they're all backed up, Mary. They don't, you know, therapists are so backed up right now. You can't get an appointment with anybody. And he is kind of in this place of like, where do I go? What do I do? Like, I'll go sit at the bar. I mean, he, you know, we cried all over multiple bars of downtown Raleigh this weekend with him and and trying to help him grieve. But like, it's such a taboo topic. Like no one even wanted to ask him and he didn't want to talk about it um, because he felt weak or, or, you know, he felt some sort of way. And it's such a taboo thing. How do we make this less of a of that and how do we talk about these things with people um it was just it felt so awkward for us all weekend long about what do we say how do it came to one point where i was just like sitting there and no one was saying anything for like 10 minutes and it was just like what do we do you know we can't talk about it i mean everything that you bring up first of all thank you for sharing that story i want to come back to a word that you used at the beginning that you said that he felt like a failure for having to euthanize this dog and for losing this dog. And I think that word failure is something that comes up in non-death grief and sometimes Mm -hmm. in death-related loss too, often. Mm -hmm. I certainly felt like a failure. Society told me I was a failure for getting divorced, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We feel like a failure many times in breakups or we, we might feel like a failure in a pet loss situation depending on, you know, what leads to that loss, like mm-hmm. like the situation you've described. That feeling of failure, again, to me, that is societal. That is something that we can change. That feeling of disconnect, that feeling of isolation. We cannot change the fact that all of us will experience grief in our lives. Every single one of us will. We probably already have. Um, most people have not experienced the buffet of grief that I have <laughs> by the time I was 31. Um, but everyone will. And the thing is that because society, particularly America, has made grief and loss equated with failure, it's a uniquely, I think, very American way of looking at grief, Mm -hmm. that somehow we're not good enough because we feel down or we feel this big amalgamation of feelings that make up grief, that somehow it's a personal fault. And that is just not true. Mm -hmm. And I, that is a huge mission of my company and of our work at Grieve Leave is to keep educating people about grief being a perfectly normal thing. So human, so normal. You're not a failure. I promise you. Everyone around you is grieving too. Everyone Mm -hmm. is just pretending like they're not. So let's normalize grief and make it not taboo by talking about it. And then second, this is coming back to what you said also about like, oh, we were, sometimes I just felt like I was sitting next to him, not saying anything for 10 minutes. That is amazing grief support. Sometimes just showing up for someone and sitting next to them and putting your hand on their shoulder or literally just walking silently next to them, like, I don't know, on a trail, that is the best thing that you can do for someone who is grieving because you're not trying to fix the situation. You're not telling them anything. You're not judging them. You are just witnessing their pain. Mm. And the thing that is so hard about supporting someone else through their grief and being present that scares so many of us is it makes us have to confront 
either our own mortality or our own fears about grief. And not everyone can do that. Not everyone is is mentally prepared Mm -hmm. to show up for other people in their grief. That's the other part of Grieveleaf's mission is to educate people who love people who are grieving, Mm -hmm. who support people who are grieving, to help teach us what are the right things to say to somebody? How do we show up for each other? And again, a hand on a shoulder and just being present for someone mm-hmm. that can speak louder than, you know, the most eloquently written letter in the world. Maybe just sitting there is exactly what that person needs. Mm-hmm. So I love that you brought up that story. That is the voice of Rebecca Feingloss. She's a grieving educator, advocate and founder of Grieve Leave, and she's inspiring all of us right now. And we're going to continue our conversation with her in just a bit. We're taking a quick break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. I am Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Our guest on the line is Rebecca Feingloss. She's a grieving educator, advocate, and founder of Grieve Leave. She's a former uh, educator as well. And Rebecca, you've, you've inspired me on this show, not mm-hmm. just because of your amazing assessment of uh, grief in all of its different forms, but uh, you know, you came up with this title, Grieve Leave, and that inspired me because I want to take a moment right now to debut a new segment that I'm calling Dog Paws. <laughs> It's a pun for Mary, but I need you, Rebecca, to tell us a little bit about Daisy Duke and Ralphie. Oh, oh my God. I'm so excited to talk about them. Okay, this is great. So thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about my fur children. Um, Daisy Duke is, oh my gosh, she's 11 years old, y'all. She's 11. Um, I certainly like watching her age. Oh, it just, anyway. Um, And Ralphie is eight. These are my babies. They are white fluff balls. They are hilarious. Ralphie is a Bichon Poodle mix. Daisy is a Bichon purebred. But so that means that Ralphie is like 50% smarter than Daisy Duke because (laughs) of the poodle. Don't tell her. I said that. Uh, But they're everything. I love those babies. They're hilarious. They usually want to be in my interviews, so I'm surprised that there's no barking happening right now. (laughs) Well, if they break in, it's okay. All right. That was Dog Paws, our new segment on Aging Matters. Jason with the water card this morning. That was a total curveball, and I'm really excited about our new segment, and we'll start uh, from here on out. We're big dog people, if you haven't figured out. Well, I, I want to dive in. I, I felt like I should have asked this question earlier in the show, but never too late. Um, we've been talking about the different kinds of grief. You've mentioned your divorce. We've talked about people, but it doesn't seem like grief has to always be about someone. Talk to us about how you would define grief in the many different ways and forms that it exists. Mm, we've talked about pet loss, too. Oh, and yeah. I didn't even say this. The anticipatory grief that mm. I feel for the eventual loss of my pets, like mm-hmm. that's real. Mm-hmm. Um Here's the thing. We grieve all kinds of losses. And you said it well, Mary. I mean, it's not just, I'm putting just in quotes Mm -hmm. here, it's not just the loss of people. We lose, um, we can lose a job. 
we can move across the country and lose a home that we once knew. We are a community that we once knew. We get older and we transition into the next phase of life, whether that is our kids um, leaving the home and going to college or moving somewhere else. We might grieve that next phase mm -hmm. because we are losing familiarity with whatever it was that we were used to. Um, we might grieve the end of an era, like my friends who are getting married. I've been talking to a bunch of them lately about the grief that they feel they're excited to be married, but they're no longer single. And there's some <laughs> grief there. Um, there's a sense of change of who they once were is no longer true. Same with retirement. You grieve this idea of your identity associated with your job. Who are you now that mm -hmm. you're retired? You get to redefine yourself and there is grief there. Grief can apply to any kind of loss that you feel, whether that is a tangible loss, like a person or a pet or some object that is no longer there or this thing that is no longer present with you. You can also grieve the end of things that are more ephemeral. You can't touch them, like the end of a relationship. That's what we call ambiguous loss. Mm. That can also apply to, so that applies to something like divorce, um, where the people are alive, but the relationship is no longer there. Mm -hmm. Ambiguous loss can apply to the end of a friendship, right? The relationship, again, is gone, but both people are still there. Ambiguous loss can apply to addiction. We lose the person that we once knew, to whatever substance misuse that they are struggling with. All of that is grief, and grief is this mix of feelings, this collection of emotions that we feel as a result of some kind of a loss. It doesn't have to be death. Wow, I, I this is this whole show has been mind blowing and, and wonderful. I I really appreciate you <laughs> like glad. defining a lot of things that I feel, you know. And I I the ant anticipatory grief also a mouthful um, is is so real. And we have a lot of caregivers that listen to the show, and I I feel your pain about your animals too. I lost my heart dog in July, and that was so hard. Um, but it's something that mm -hmm. I knew was coming for quite some time, and. And I felt that I talked to my therapist about it. But you, if you're caring for someone or someone who is sick or dying, you also need to care for yourself and your own feelings about what's happening. And it's really hard to do that in that caregiver role, um, you know, recognizing that you're already grieving somebody, but still having to take care of them or still wanting to take care of them in the best way possible. What forms does this anticipatory grief take? And, you know, how do you recognize that? Absolutely. Um, you were talking about your brother earlier, assuming mm -hmm. that he doesn't listen to the show. I'm going to talk about my brother, assuming <laughs> that he's not going to listen to this. So he, my, my brother is my only living close family member. It's just the two of us um, now, which is wild to me. So we have mm. two, only two fine glasses on earth. Um, literally, you can Google that. And he <laughs> and I decided that he would ultimately be the primary caretaker for our late grandmother who passed away last year mm -hmm. in Montreal um, at the age of 98. And this was our mother's mother. There was no one in our family to take care of her other wow. than us. And my, I watched my brother as we decided together he would be the one to move to Canada and be her primary caretaker. And let me tell you, I mean, the anticipatory grief, the pain, and like this mixture of, like it's a privilege 
to watch someone get that old and having literally never gotten that with another family member, right? Mm -hmm. She was 98 and we still anticipated the grief that we felt for her eventual death. And what I've heard it described as, and I think this is right, anticipatory grief is like we grieve over time the soul of that person leaving. It's, it's a slower process. We know it's coming. And then there's the second hit of grief for the physical body when the mm-hmm. physical body finally goes. And that is very heavy for a caregiver to carry that amount of grief every single day. When you get a phone call and you don't know if that phone call is going to be that your person has died because you never know when it's going to happen. I mean, that is anticipatory grief. And if you as a caregiver are not caring for your own well-being, whether that is literally like going for a jog in the morning because apparently some people like to run. I don't understand those people, but like if that's your (laughs) self-care, like doing whatever you can to give yourself some space during the day, even if it is just for five minutes, to to create space for these feelings that you have of grief, of heaviness, give them space so you can show up better for yourself, so you can show up well for your person that you're caring for. But being a caregiver, I bow down to those people because the amount of emotional weight that you are carrying on behalf of your person and on behalf of yourself and your your family members too, it's a heck of a lot. And I, I couldn't be more grateful for all that my brother did for our grandmother in her final years. He was incredible. And I really encouraged him to care for himself too. And he didn't always do it. Mm-hmm. It's such a burden, and that's why this program exists, to help those who are dealing with it, and so that they can take a step back and sort of analyze their own situation and find resources and ways to help themselves out and their loved ones as well. We're speaking with Rebecca Feingloss. Rebecca is a grieving educator and advocate and also founder of Grieve Leave, and we're going to continue our conversation with her right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Hey, if you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, you can go online to transitionslifecare.org. Transitions Life Care. Org. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Our guest that we're speaking with today is Rebecca Feingloss. And Rebecca is a grieving educator, an advocate, and founder of Grieve Leave. And grief is the subject of what we're talking about right now. And Mary, we've covered a lot of ground so far. Um, but calling attention to this is one thing, but actually putting some of this into practice can be 
it can be a challenge. You know, that's where the work comes in. We can read about doing workouts and knowing to exercise and eat right. But when it comes to actually putting this into practice, that's a different story. Yeah, that's funny. I have a bunch of screenshots on my phone right now of workouts I can do before bed that I haven't looked at in uh, probably six months. So we're there. That's called denial. Um, and I want to talk about that. I've seen instances of this in my field and hospice and palliative care, which is what I do outside the radio. Someone who isn't ready to accept what's happening how, Rebecca, do you recognize this and move forward? Why not just ignore all this grief? I mean, we spend the weekend, let's just drink through the weekend and wake up on Monday and let's move forward and block this out. Um, is is that right? I don't think that's right. I mean, that sounds so much more fun, though, doesn't it? <laughs> like it's, I, I, here's what I can say is I spent my entire life up until my dad's death and even for a little while after just pretending like I wasn't grieving hmm. because – my mom died when I was a kid. Our society encourages um, this pick yourself up by your bootstraps mentality that, mm-hmm. oh, you can just hustle your way through whatever pain it is that you're feeling. You can make yourself feel better. Sometimes that looks like completely shutting out whatever pain it is that you feel and showing up to work for you know the next day or going to that party or mm-hmm. you know hanging out with your friends and being like acting like your old self. But only you know that actually grief is there deep down. And maybe truly we don't know it because Mm -hmm. our society doesn't encourage us to recognize those feelings at all. So I think, again, step one here is just recognizing that grief is a normal thing to feel, that every single person on earth is feeling or will feel. And all of us, it would just help everybody if we all just pretended like a little bit less, that we're perfectly fine. <laughs> Let's normalize being in in the depths of grief. And grief doesn't always look one particular way. It does not follow an orderly set of stages, although we really wish that it did. I so wish that grief and grieving followed those five stages linearly that we have all like come to accept as right. the natural order of things, but that's not how grief works. We're all unique individuals. Every loss is individual. It depends on what happens. Things that we feel like maybe we, we didn't totally shut out and we totally processed at the beginning, like a breakup, for example. Years later, I don't know, a song might come on that reminds you of your person and triggers your grief all over again, something you thought you had processed before. Or like me, I, I didn't recognize that I had grief for my mom, duh, who died when I was a kid until my dad died when I was 30. Mm. And that's when that grief came up for me. So no, we can't just hustle our way out of grief. We can't just drink our way out of grief. Sure, we can come up with coping mechanisms so we're not um, consumed by our grief all the time so it doesn't overwhelm us. But the way that we face our grief is by creating space for it by connecting with other people who are experiencing that grief too, because knowing that you're not crazy and knowing that you're not alone is pretty much the only thing that can help you feel better when you're grieving because you can't make the loss go away. Mm -hmm. You can make your pain feel a little bit lighter by normalizing it and by accepting that it's there. You know, I I was reading your blog, which, by the way, everyone check out Grief Leave website blog, all, all of the stuff out there. We'll get there in a minute and, and you can tell everyone how to reach you. But um, there was a, a great blog about myths of grief and you touched on it just now and I want to bring it back up. So I just can't get through the five stages of grief and then be done and I'm fine. Right. 
it's just not a thing. <laughs> I just, like, I really wish it was. And you know what? This, this study that came out in the 70s was this Cooper Ross, was a really well-respected researcher in the grief space and the death space. That study in particular was on cancer patients, people who were dying of cancer and how they faced their own mortality. And the way that this study was then interpreted by the media, by all of us, we wanted to latch on to something more linear. We want to believe that we can follow a set routine of grief, that we move through denial and eventually we get to acceptance. Like we want to believe that's true, Mary, and it is not true. We actually just vacillate all the time between all of these different feelings about grief and loss. And that doesn't mean we're crazy. It doesn't mean we're weird. It means we're human with normal human lives and different relationships over time, different experiences over time, trigger, bring up different feelings of our grief that we didn't know were there. And maybe things that helped us face our grief, different, um, let's, let's just differentiate between grief and grieving for a second. Grief is the collection of feelings that come with a loss or might come before a loss or come after a loss. It's mm -hmm. sadness, it can be anger, nostalgia, et cetera. Grieving is how we create space for those feelings. We, I made a joke earlier about jogging as like some people's <laughs> magical way of creating space for feelings. Yay for those people. For me, it was yoga at first, getting really quiet after my dad died that created space for my feelings. Yoga was an essential part of grieving for me that I had never done before. But all of that to say, grief is not linear. Mm -hmm. There are no five stages of grief. We bounce back and forth between a million feelings all the time. And we're never going to be officially done with our grief. I'm so sorry to break that news to everybody, oh. which is, it's both a downer and it's also just true. Like, we're not going to forget that these losses happened. It's okay. We will face them differently for the rest of our lives. It's all right. So there, another thing that I felt in the weekend and, and you have on your side about a myth of grief is you shouldn't mention someone else's loss. Like, don't, don't go there. That's awkward. Don't talk about it. Yeah. I mean, you gave a, another example. You were talking about the, the pet loss situation, right? Like, I think this also comes up in workplaces a lot. Like, oh, I know that my colleague just lost their mother, but I don't want to bring it up at work right, because right. that's awkward, that's taboo. Right. And like we, we think in our minds that we're doing that person a favor by not mentioning this hard thing. But in reality, by us not talking about the thing, the loss that everyone knows happened, we are isolating that griever. We are making them feel more alone. It's not that we're trying not to remind them of the loss. It's that we don't want to deal with how painful that feels for us. So our, that person is already thinking about their loss. We're not reminding them of anything. You can absolutely be there for somebody at work. It doesn't mean you like approach them at work teary-eyed and say, I'm so sorry your mother died and make a big scene out of it. But it could be you write them a note at work and hand it to them and put your hand on their shoulder and say, I'm so sorry that this happened and I'm thinking about you. Do you want to grab lunch today? That's what it looks like to show up for people who are grieving. That's really, really helpful. So how do people find Grieve Leave? How can they get in touch with you all and seek out your resources? 
Yeah, we're like everywhere. So, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. Can, <laughs> we're, we are not hard to find, which is the whole idea, right? If you need yes. grief support, Grief Leave is here for you. Um, we, you can visit our website, www.grieveleave.com, G-R-I-E-V-E-L-E-A-V-E.com. That is a mouthful. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram at Grieve Leave. You can find us on TikTok same handle. You can find us on Facebook. You can follow me. I mean, we post all kinds of educational content. We post a lot of memes too. Like Mm, we got to laugh at this. That's how we come together in our, in all of these feelings that instead of letting them isolate us, let's come together in our grief and be there for one another. But I, Jason and Mary, thank you so, so much for such a wonderful conversation. This is awesome. And I just didn't know I was going to get to talk about my dog. I mean, what a great day. (laughs) We'll always make sure we can include that in with you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Rebecca, thank you so much. Again, she's Rebecca Feingloss, grieving educator, advocate, and founder of Grieve Leave. You can learn more at grieveleave.com. Dot com, grieveleave.com. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be back with more. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with... Mary Lucas and Mary, we can't go a full show without mentioning your pets. You are uh, a foster parent for many, many dogs. And this is something I don't know how you have the time to do, given your your current (laughs) duties, but I know it is a passion of yours. And we often bring this up because um, pets can often be um, extremely helpful and, and maybe not necessarily thought of for those who maybe have finished a caregiving journey mm-hmm. or who are in, in the beginning stages of one. Absolutely. I, For those of you who may remember or, or don't know, um, I fostered a dog back in January, Waylon, um, Waylon Jennings. Uh, Waylon, uh, he is a Bernadoodle, so Bernie's Mountain Dog and Poodle Mix. Um, he was from a backyard breeder that was um, having, who had a hoarding situation. He was one of 50 dogs that was living outside. He had about five pounds of matted hair, um, and he had been living in his own filth uh, in a crate outside his entire life. Um, and he was about one when I got him, and he had never met humans, never been inside uh, a house. Um, he was uh, extremely emaciated. He had heartworm, Lyme disease, other tick-borne diseases. He had intestinal parasites. Um, he was in really bad shape. He had infections on his face. Um, and when we shaved him, his whole body was covered in ticks. Um, it was just, he was in horrible condition. Um, but the good news about all of this is um, he has recovered very well. And a, a couple of months after getting him and starting to heal and, and go through the process, I realized his temperament was just so calm and approachable. And I don't know how this dog 
trust humans. I really don't, um, coming from the situation he was in. And he has just been so sweet. And so I was thinking, you know, maybe you could be a therapy dog. Um, and no, I don't have the time for this. Um, but I decided to, to dedicate time to, to making it happen and training Whalen to be a therapy dog, which I, I get a lot of questions about it now. So I wanted to talk about it a little bit. It's not really hard um, to, if you have a dog that has a great demeanor, is approachable, um, is not super hyper, doesn't lick a lot, you can't be a licker, um, can't be a jumper. Um, it's it's really not hard if, it, if you have those, um, if your dog, it kind of falls into that. You don't have to have a certain breed. Um, and actually, most therapy dogs are rescue dogs, uh, including Waylon. Um, and, and the dogs that I tested Waylon with were also therapy dogs or, or rescue dogs as well. Um, you don't know, have to know commands or tricks even. You don't have to perform tricks like fetch. You don't really have to have a shake or anything like that. You just have to listen to your handler. Um, so Waylon just has to be able to listen to me and take commands well. Um, and, um, and, and he does that. And so I, I started training him. We were going to Lowe's Home Improvement and, and you know, different hardware stores. And there's a lot of stores that actually allow dogs. So we were just out all the time uh, after work and walking on the leash, practicing not pulling, practicing sitting when I tell him to, um, approaching people calmly and, and waiting to be approached. Um, and Waylon uh, was checking all the boxes. And so we tested a couple weeks ago for the therapy dog test. We, we work with Alliance of Therapy Dogs, which is a national organization. Um, and the test they have testers all over. And the tester met us at um, out, out in public with her therapy dog. And um, part of the therapy dog training, you have to be comfortable around other dogs. And they can't approach each other. He can't want to play while he is um, in therapy dog mode. So, um, and Waylon does very good at that. So we met with her therapy dog and side by side and he passed his test and we're super excited. Um, and so I, I, there, there's a huge need for therapy dogs out there. Um, and I want to, um, uh, just promote that. And if you have extra time on your hands and you think you have a dog, um, that might be eligible to be a therapy dog, check out Alliance of Therapy Dogs. That's just one of the organizations. There's plenty of others. Um, it's a great way to spend extra free time you have and helping others. Um, it's I've met a lot of really cool people. We had our first visits uh, at a nursing home here in a dementia unit recently. And um, and then we also did the hospice home at Transitions, and um, they were really special. The hospice home, I met more families in Wales and spent some time with some families that were grieving, which was really special to me because both my grandparents been at the hospice home, and I've benefited from the therapy dogs that were there. Um, but the dementia unit was awesome. Um, there was this woman who um, – she was not verbal and she wasn't picking up her head um, or really making eye contact, but her husband was with her and he was trying to communicate with her and she wasn't really communicating. And Waylon, um, we walked up to them and Waylon sat there in front of her and he was like, look, it's a dog. And he was trying to get her to, to see the dog and she wouldn't pick up her head. And finally she put her hand out and and looked at Waylon and picked up her head and looked at Waylon and it, it brought tears to my eyes and to her husband's eyes. I mean, she, she immediately connected with Waylon um, and was petting him and grabbing his ears. And it was just a really sweet moment. And she didn't say anything. And I don't, I think she was uh, pretty nonverbal uh, just outside of, um, you know, that moment as well. Um, but it was something really special and connected with her. And um, you can really make a difference. Um, 
And I want to also clarify the difference in therapy and service dogs. A service dog is training a dog to do a specific task um, for somebody who needs it. So they have PTSD dogs or, you know, dogs that can um, help with diabetes or seizures and and recognize those things. And therapy dogs are more for volunteering in in, um, different facilities, hospitals, nursing homes, hospice homes. You can even go to schools um, or the community events. There's a lot of different places that therapy dogs come in to um, play. Um, So just my pitch, you don't, your therapy dog, most of the time it has to be about a year old, um, but there's plenty of videos out there that you can take a look at all the training that's needed. And, um, but it's really not that hard. So I work with a alliance of therapy dogs, but there's plenty of others. And I definitely, um, suggest checking it out. Um, it's been a lot of fun and I'm excited to get Whalen out more. And also my pitch to rescue dogs, our shelters are full. Um, and there are awesome rescue dogs out there. And don't think that you can't get a purebred dog from a rescue because you can. Whalen is one of those fancy doodles. And I hate, <laughs> I hate when people say he's a doodle. And I'm like, yeah, but let me show, let me show you where he came from. Um, and, uh, I love doodles. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I'm very proud of Whalen and where he's come from and, and the, the progress he's made over the last, uh, you know, six, eight months, eight months. Um, it's been a lot of work, but he's been, um, he's been good. And for those who are interested in pursuing this training, can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, is it Mm -hmm. something where you're watching videos online and then training with the dog or are you dropping the dog off kind of like a doggy daycare and then they come back and they're a full therapy dog? How how, how does it work? (laughs) You can. There are definitely programs where you can drop them off and and pick them up. Um, I will say with those programs, it's a little bit harder because you're the handler um, and you have to be the one that is controlling the dog. Um, so it's it's hard to make that connection when someone else is training your dog. Um, and, and so I think it is easier to, if you can, and if you are able to, to do the training yourself, um, if you go out on um, out on the internet and on the interwebs um, and you look up training or Alliance of Therapy Dogs, for example, they have um, on their website under join and members, they have a test a video and you can see the full test and what that looks like. So you do the full test at first and it does, um, They your dog doesn't have to be perfect. You can correct them in the test and that is totally acceptable. They just can't be shy they can't be jumping on others, and they can't pull on their leash. That's like the main things. Um, it's great. They have to be able to sit and stay in a place for a few minutes as well. So to, to be able to just listen to you, approach humans, not jumping, not pulling on a leash, no licking, um, and interaction with dogs kind of to a minimum. You're not allowed to be playing with other dogs while you're there. But there are videos out on the Internet of what the test looks like, and there's also they have like checklists of everything uh, that you will be tested on. So I just went and practiced those things over and over and over again. Um, And then you do the initial test, and then there are two observation sessions. And if you pass those, then you uh, move on. They can do additional observations as needed, but the observations, they take you out. And if you've passed the test, they take you out, and you actually do visits. Um, And they help kind of train you and guide you if you're doing something wrong or you're not holding the head the right way or whatever it may be. Um, They kind of correct you there. Um, But it's not, you know, it's not you did this wrong, you can always correct your dog um, and and kind of shift their behavior during the test or during an observation. That's totally acceptable. So it's not, it's not too hard if you have a dog that has a good demeanor. That's wonderful. And for those who are maybe looking for a way to volunteer and who maybe are passionate 
about their pets and their dogs, this is a wonderful way to combine the two. And if you want to see a, a touching video of Waylon, check out Canine Inch Tales on Instagram. Uh, it's a very nice video that she did showing Waylon's transformation and also his graduation as a, <laughs> a therapy dog. It's cool to see Canine Inch Tales on Instagram if you want to see Mary's page there. Well, we are out of time for today. Don't forget, you can catch this episode and past episodes as podcasts on WPTF.com. Click on the podcast button. There you'll find the Aging Matters section, and you can re-listen to this episode as well as past episodes as well. We've got to get out of here. We're out of time. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I'm Jason Kong, and you've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a great day. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.